Welcome to the Presentation Boss Podcast. We're your hosts. I'm Kate Norris. And I'm Thomas Craft. Whether you're pitching your business, speaking at a work meeting, or on the stage, we're here to help you present with clarity and confidence. Andrew Tarvin is the founder and CEO of Humor That Works, a consultancy that strategically leverages humor for better business results. He has partnered with some of the world's leading organizations, including Microsoft, the United Nations, and the FBI, to solve human challenges with humor solutions. Andrew is a best-selling author, has been featured in the Wall Street Journal and Forbes, and was named a visionary under 40 by the P&G Alumni Network. His TEDx talk on the skill of humor has been viewed more than 6 million times, only half of which were his mother. He loves puns and chocolate. So Andrew, welcome to the Presentation Boss podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Well, thank you so much for uh, having me. I'm excited to be on. Um, That is a fantastic line in your bio, by the way. (laughs) So good. So Thank tell you. us. Yeah, I think it's I think it's partially, only partially, a little bit true. Also, my mom, <laughs> uh, she is very prevalent in the work that I do. She's in most of the presentations that I give in an image, and she also made it the, on the cover of my book. The hey. quote on the cover of my book is the uh, the funniest business book I've ever read by Luann Tarvin, uh, HR manager and author's mom. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's oh. cool. Good. All right. So we've got your formal bio there. So tell us what is between the lines of that. Tell us about yourself. Uh, Yeah. So what's missing in the bio, uh, but probably very obvious in listening to me is that I am a nerd. Like, I think you hear this voice and you're like, he's probably a nerd. (laughs) Um, And you would be 100% correct. Uh, And I'm, you know, computer, math, sci-fi, Dungeons and Dragons, like all of the types of nerds that exist, I think (laughs) I am. Um, But uh, most specifically, I'm an engineer. So, you know, ever since kind of the, the seventh grade, I've been obsessed with computers and loved engineering. So I went to the Ohio State University, got a degree in computer science and engineering, and my introduction into this whole speaking world as well as humor world was uh, improvisation in, um, in college. And that's the, that's the other thing that people, especially they look at me and they're like, wait, you are professionally funny. Uh, I don't necessarily know if I believe you. And then that's, well, it's like, well, look at the, you know, with the TEDx talk and all this, there's, there's proof to suggest that I am funny, at least, you know, on paper. Uh, and uh, that's the intersection of me. That's why I am the uh, self-proclaimed world's first humor engineer. It's that mix of you know the engineering mindset of solving problems and the way that I go about doing it is using humor. Yeah, right. So this humor journey. How did you, how did you get started, and what unexpected journeys has that taken you on in your career? Uh, it's a great question, and I would say that uh, everything about my life since starting doing you know improv and stand-up is is unexpected in, in a change uh in a way um but uh so the way that i got into it was um uh, me and some friends were sitting around in college and university uh playing halo uh the video game mm-hmm. as yep. we did very often uh in college and uh my friend who had been doing a little bit of improv with the group on campus was like you know what i think we should start our own improv group And of course, it's kind of college and you're like, all right, yeah, sure, whatever. We don't know what that means. (laughs) And uh, we didn't know what we were doing. We watched Whose Line Is It Anyway and tried to repeat what we saw. Uh, Mm -hmm. And over time, like for me, I fell in love with it because I I don't think I ever would have been that person that was like, you know, watching TV and be like, I'm going to get up on stage someday. 
Uh, but because it was my friend suggesting that we all do it, and we we're doing it as a group, uh, I tried it out and found that I really liked it. You know, even though I'm an introvert, it's hard. It was hard for me at the time to, you know, make jokes in conversation or meet new people uh, and maybe even give presentations. But then you put it in this framework where, you know, I'm on stage with friends and I can make people laugh that way. It started to, you know, boost my confidence, start to explore that. And later, you know, after I graduated, um, I started working at Procter & Gamble as an IT project manager. And I started to realize that the reason why I was being successful was because of the improv, because of the stand-up that I had been doing. It helped me give better presentations, helped me send emails that people actually listened to, helped me build better connections with people. And that's what started this journey. As an engineer, I fell in love with the fact that humor seemed to work with the hardest thing that I ever had to work with, which was other humans. <laughs> yeah, right. So I actually really love um, kind of what piqued my interest in there was saying you're an introvert and found it difficult to make jokes, but then you learned how to do it. So it is actually very possible for someone who is stereotypically an engineer to use humor, to, to be funny. Absolutely. It, it, humor is a skill, uh, which means yeah. it can be learned. And so what we say in our programs is that, you know, we can teach anyone to be funnier, right? Mm -hmm. We can't guarantee that you're immediately going to be the funniest person in the world. It's not like you do a workshop and immediately you're going to get a Netflix comedy special. Yeah. But yeah. we can take anyone from where they are to where they want to go. Because I think that humor, just like speaking, just like presenting, it's their skills and there's an art and science to them. Yep. And so we can teach the science of humor. We can teach things like structure and uh, different comedic devices and, uh, you know, our humor map and other things that we'll probably talk about today. We can teach those things. And then the art of it, we can help you to practice them in a safe space so that you start to develop it over time. Uh, and so those two things combined together, I think, means that Absolutely, it's something that people can learn and leverage, you know, their own kind of style and sense of humor for great results. Yeah. So I want to ask, do you see a difference between humor and comedy? I do. I think of humor as more broad than comedy. So I think of comedy yeah, as right. kind of as like a subset of humor. So uh, humor is defined as a comic, absurd, or incongruous quality causing amusement. So that means uh -huh. that humor includes comedy punchlines and jokes and stuff. It also might include something yep. that's just a little bit silly or a little bit different. So like doing improv exercises in your presentation as a way to train a skill is leveraging humor. Starting a presentation with a story, even if it's not the funniest story in the world, but it's kind of engaging or interesting, amusing, that's using humor. Uh, adding a little bit of play or adding a little bit of, you know, my brother is a, a, present, a, a professor at Texas A&M and he wears a different pair of socks every single time he teaches. And it's like, you know, pop culture reference and all these other things. And that's a small element of humor to the point that his students then wonder what pair of socks is he wearing a day? Is it the, yeah, you know, the right. ones that are like, look like his yeah. pet dog or is it the <laughs> Albert Einstein? Yeah, right. It kind of becomes its own little game, its own um, element of interest just within that role, doesn't it? It does. And that's, I think, one of the things that's, you know, great when you can find, you know, not just only one off humor of like, you know, because sometimes I think people hear, particularly within presenting, they hear, okay, you got to start your presentation with a joke. And so they go on Google and they research a joke oh. and uh, it's one that everyone has heard before and they know it. Then they do it in their presentation. They fumble through the setup and the punchline because they've just memorized something off of the internet. 
And then not only does the joke have nothing to do with what they're going to present on next, it's also the remaining 59 minutes and 30 seconds of their presentation is incredibly boring with no humor whatsoever. And it's like, we're, that's not at all what we're talking about. Instead, we're talking about a way of leveraging humor for specific goals with what you want to do. And when you can create kind of this pattern or consistency of humor, it almost makes using humor easier because people are then like, okay, what's the next frame for this? What's the next example of this? If, if this person continually uses, you know, references to Game of Thrones in their presentation for what they're talking about, okay, what's the next Game of Thrones reference? Mm. What's that going to be? And am I going to be able to get it? Now they're actually leaning in and more engaged because they want to experience the fun that they, you know, are expecting that's going to come. I kind of invested in it then. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you said you come from an engineering background and uh, well, it's, we'll just call it a nerdy background. Uh, engineering especially is often thought to be people who don't have time for humor and they don't have time for things that are, you know, quote unquote, enjoyable and things must remain serious all the time. What compelled you, I guess, to, to start on the journey and then to move into what it is that you do now? Yeah, I think part of it was a, a recognition that uh, there is a difference between being efficient and being effective. Mm-hmm. And the, the example, the kind of the, the story that crystallizes for me was I was a, a resident advisor in university. Um, and so a resident advisor, if you're not familiar, they're basically, you know, they live in the dorms, they're responsible for taking care of incoming freshmen, they you know, they're, they're juniors or seniors typically. And so they're, they're not quite babysitters, not quite parents, but just kind of there to make sure that the students don't like do too much harm to their like GPA or livers or anything. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, I was paired with another RA at Ohio State and we worked really well together as a pair because I was good at the engineering stuff. I was good at the paperwork and the planning and the schedules and all that. And she was really good with the humans, which is a very valuable (laughs) trait to have. And so we decided to do this floor dinner and uh, we decided to cook, to cook spaghetti for everyone for the floor dinner. And I'm not a cook. I don't do any type of cooking. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I was like, oh, you know what? I can watch what she does and then repeat it. Uh, and then I'll be able to help in that way. And so I'm watching her cook spaghetti. She pulls out a, a pot. She fills it with water. She lets the water boil. She puts the spaghetti in. And I was like, oh, I can do that. And I can do it more efficiently. So I take out a pot, I fill it with water, immediately put the spaghetti in, then turn the burner on to let the water boil, and that's wrong. Right? Yeah. As Kate oh, Space wrong, just made. Uh, is that she's wrong, like, is it? <laughs> yeah, that's very clearly wrong. Uh, you have to let the water boil before you put the spaghetti in. Huh, learn and something new every day. <laughs> exactly, right? And so uh, Amy, my co RA, who I was cooking with, like freaked out and she like ran over and she like dumped it all out and she's like, listen, you clearly have no idea what you're doing. Just get out of the kitchen. And we do the rest of the floor dinner and the residents leave. We're cleaning up afterwards. We're talking a little bit. And I could sense like Amy was still mad at me, uh, (laughs) mostly because she said, I'm still mad at you, um, which I was able to pick up on. And she said, she was like, the reason why I'm mad is because you always try to take shortcuts. You always try to do the least amount of work possible. She's like, you do it with your homework, you do it with your residents and you do it with me. And that's, and I realized she was right. Like I realized, you know, I was treating each one of my residents like a task list where I was like, okay, if I spend three minutes with this person, three minutes with this person, three minutes with this person, I'm an amazing RA 
or sometimes presenters have that same thing of like, oh, okay, well, I've heard about the three-point story structure. So if I tell them what I'm going to tell them, tell them what I told them, or tell them and then tell them what I told them, if I just follow that, everything is good and I can just go mm. through it. And it's like, no, there is, that's, that's the difference between being efficient and being effective. And so engineers, I think in general, we do have an obsession with efficiency. Like mm -hmm. I'm still obsessed with efficiency. I listen to yeah. podcasts at one and a half speed so that it's faster. Uh, yep. right? And also so that more people sound like me. Like I think if you, if you tune this <laughs> podcast to one and a half speed, I would sound like uh, Mickey Mouse, I think. Um, but I've realized over time that even more important is to be effective, right? Because it doesn't matter how yeah. fast you run if at the start of the race you run in the wrong direction. And mm, so yeah. humor is kind of one of those elements where maybe it's not the most efficient. Yes, maybe it takes a little bit more time to craft a good story to start your presentation or it takes a little bit of time to find the right image instead of just writing the text on your slides that you want to say and just, you know, rather than memorize it, you just read the, the text, but it's not effective. And if what you are doing, if you have a message that you want to share, you think you can have an impact, you want to do the things that are effective with people that are going to get them to pay attention and take action. And humor can be one of those valuable tools to do that. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. I like that. I like the, um, the difference between efficiency and effectiveness. Although I think there's that phrase, um, if you want something done the best way, ask a lazy person because they'll find the most efficient way of doing it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's a, like, and that's the, the balance. And that, you know, the ideal is as an engineer is to, is for something to be both efficient and effective. Yeah. Mm. Um, the, the danger that you have to look out for are the things that are incredibly efficient, but not actually all that effective. And so things like, yeah. you know, it is, if you're doing a presentation, it is way easier to write down what you want to say onto the slides and then just, you know, cheat and look at the slides yeah. every time, every time you get to something new, way yeah. more efficient. You don't have to memorize anything. You don't have to find an interesting image, uh, any of that kind of stuff. It's not an effective presentation at all. You should just email the PowerPoint or the, you know, Prezi or whatever to the people who are going to be in attendance and save everyone's time if you're going to do that. But, uh, people are drawn to it because, oh, that's the efficient way to do it. It's just not going to get results. Yeah, yeah, yeah for sure. absolutely. So what about the perception that can sometimes happen that if you are funny, if you use humor, you are potentially unprofessional? Yeah, it's a, it's a great um, concern. It's probably one of the, the more common concerns that people have. And this is where rem uh, a reminder that humor is more broad than comedy is important. And the other thing that I would say about it is that, as an employee using humor or as a presenter or speaker using humor, your goal is not for people to think that you're funny. The goal is not so that it, it's not yep. the hope that they say you were the funniest speaker that I've ever seen. Uh, because if you want to do that, then become a stand-up comedian. And yep. a stand-up comedian, then there's more leeway for the types of things that you talk about, the subjects that you can cover, how many punchlines you can have, the level of truth that you may or may not use. Uh, etc. But if you're a speaker and you have a message, then it's about leveraging humor to, again, achieve that specific goal. And so when you're clear about using humor for that purpose, as opposed to using it just so people think that you're funny, then it tends to be more appropriate. And people don't think of it as, oh, that guy's trying to make a lot of jokes and more of, oh, that was a really interesting way to make that point. And so the way that we kind of frame that, or think about that is the humor that we use especially when you're first starting out as an intentional level is we follow what we call our humor map. Uh, and the map stands yep. for your medium audience and purpose. 
And so your medium is how are you going to execute the humor? Is it in a presentation? And is that presentation live in front of 100 people? Or is it one-on-one where you're doing maybe a Zoom call or something? Mm-hmm. Is, uh, and who's the audience? Is that person someone that you've known and worked with for a long time? Like the, two, the humor that the two of you can use with each other is going to be very different than the humor that you would use when talking with a client for the very first time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, it's also yeah. very different than if you're speaking to a room full of, you know, 108 year olds versus, you know, 50 senior executives at a, you know, Fortune 500 company, right? So yeah. your audience impacts the humor that you're going to use. And then finally, and what I would say as an engineer, the most important one is your purpose. Why are you using humor? Again, not just for the sake of humor, but, oh, maybe you're using humor at the beginning of a presentation so that people listen and they're laughing and and they believe you as a funny person so now they're going to listen to more of the presentation that you're going to give and then maybe a little bit later you use humor as a way to explain a point and simplify it so that people actually understand a complex idea that you're talking about and then maybe after that you use humor like an interactive exercise as a way to give them a chance to to practice the skill that you're talking about so they actually walk away having you know really done something with it. And then maybe you're going to use humor at this point, a little bit of incongruity as a way to get people to pay attention because you know that uh, suggested rhythms of our body, just like we have a circadian rhythm of 24 hours a day of a sleep cycle. There's an attention rhythm that we think that we have where every seven, 10, seven to 10 minutes, we have to change something up in a presentation. I don't know if you guys have, have known this, but for the, for the listeners, if you're not, there's research that suggests that the most someone can pay attention to uh, and concentrate on something is around seven to 10 minutes. Even if they like what they're listening to, if it's presented in the exact same way, you start to drone out at seven to 10 minutes. So, you know, one of the things that we sometimes talk about with presenters is make sure that you have something different every seven to 10 minutes, maybe a little bit of humor, maybe it's a new humor story. And then maybe the next seven minutes, it's an interesting slide. And then the next seven minutes, it's an interactive exercise. And so having, when you're thinking about those things, going through the map, medium audience purpose, you're then using humor that people are like, oh, wow, that was a cool way that you did that as opposed to that person was trying to be funny. Mm. Yeah. Mm. I'm connecting a few things I've heard from you here, Andrew, which mm-hmm. is you talk, talk about you're not putting humor in there for the sake of being funny. You know, you're not trying to make people like you. And I remember there's a quote, and it might've been in a podcast you did somewhere else or in your TED talk where you say that, that listening is at its highest after humor. And so Mm -hmm. I'm I'm sort of really putting together here that to better communicate a message, if we add in humor, that's not about having people like us. It's about having our audience listen that little bit closer. Exactly. I think that's a a great kind of articulation of it is because when you get people laughing, you know they're listening. And then once they're listening, you can then get them to learn something or to pay attention or to try something new. And this is what you'll find at, you know, conferences a lot. I'll see this, uh, uh, particularly when I start speaking, if it's been a, I I speak at a lot of tech conferences and places that aren't necessarily the most exciting type of, of content. And so people will be distracted. They'll be on their phones and then I'll come on and I'll share something that is humorous and you'll get a few people to laugh and you'll notice the heads of the other people in the audience look up because Mm. they're like, wait, you're laughing. Why are you laughing? I want to laugh. I enjoy it. Laughter is fun. Uh, I would like to have some fun right now. What's going on? (laughs) Oh, this person on stage seems to be the source of this laughter. Let me listen to what they're saying. Ah, in fact, that was laughter. I'm going to laugh now. And then like the whole audience kind of gets on board. So exactly. It's one of, it can be a strategic, that's one strategic use of humor and speaking as a way to get people to to listen and want to listen to the rest of your message. 
So I'm curious then when you put together a talk or something for like a talk like that at a more dry um, conference, do you use the first couple of minutes of your presentation to basically just start to get everybody on board with you first? I do, yes, because my and in my world it's a little bit different because I lo- I'm often speaking specifically on the topic of humor, yeah, which mm. has its own challenges. Anytime you introduce the word humor, and this is almost sometimes a disadvantage when you call yourself a funny speaker or a humorous speaker, is that the bar is immediately higher. Uh, expectations. If you are a leadership speaker and kind of funny, people are like, "Oh my god, this person's hilarious." If you are a funny speaker and then you come in at the same level of humor, they'll be like, ah, I thought it would be funnier. Uh, <laughs> yes. So you sometimes have those challenges with how you're branding yourself and how you're framing yourself. So it's a little bit different for me, but absolutely, even when I'm doing you know, non-humor related talks, the first part of my program is I'm using a lot of humor, typically about my background because I'm trying to explain, okay, you know, why, why am I a credible person to you? If I'm speaking to engineers, I want them to know that I am an engineer. I want them to know that I'm obsessed with efficiency and that, you know, I love math and that um, recently in the morning and when I started getting ready in the morning, I started going, you know, putting on a sock and then a shoe and then sock and then shoe uh, because that was faster than going sock, sock, shoe, shoe. And <laughs> that kind of gets people to laugh. There's like, that's kind of weird, but the engineers in the audience are like, I'm totally on board with this guy uh, now because, uh, yeah. you know, he's speaking my efficiency language he and I'm using humor up way. top. Yeah, to get them to, one, understand who I am, but two, there are a lot of punchlines up top, kind of to your point, Kate, that I'm using because, especially if I'm like the, if I'm the opening keynote speaker at a conference, it's 9 a.m. and it's a project management conference. They are not expecting to laugh. They're not used to laughing at nine o'clock in the morning. They've barely had their coffee. I sometimes kind of have to hit them over the head with, no, this is going to be a funny talk and it is okay to laugh. Without yeah. saying that, I just do that by, you know, bombarding them with humor <laughs> that then also still sets up, you know, still has a point uh, for the rest of the talk to, to help me build off of later. Yeah, hmm. right. That makes a lot of sense. It does. Yeah. So someone who wants to add humor into their work, into their presentations, where do you start? If you think you're maybe not a funny person, where do you start? Uh, it's a great uh, Great question. Uh, and what I would say is uh, you start with a humor notebook. So mm-hmm. almost every comedian that you will meet has some type of humor notebook. This is some repository where they put humorous stories and observations and just random even kind of like, huh, that's kind of interesting type mm-hmm. thoughts. They put it all down in one spot because I will say that it's very difficult if you're like, all right, I've got uh, I've got an hour right now between, before my next meeting. I'm going to sit down and I'm going to write something funny. That can be very difficult to do to just start from scratch. But a humor notebook, what happens is as you're just experiencing the world and you go around the world and you notice something, you're like, huh, that's kind of interesting. Why is that? Okay, maybe I'm going to write that down. And then later when you are looking to work on a presentation or you're like, oh, I need a story for this, you go back to the humor notebook and be like, oh, that's right, three months ago, this weird thing happened to me at the airport, but it also kind of relates to this point that I'm making. Maybe I can build that out as a story to go. Uh, The other advantage to the humor notebook is uh, that for me, I think that, I don't think that funny things happen to funny people. I think that funny people see the world in a funny way. 
Yeah. And having a humor notebook and making it a habit to write down these thoughts, you start to notice it more. It's, it's kind of like a version of the reticular activation system, if you're familiar with RAS, uh, where, you know, if you... If you're a parent or friends of your buys a certain type of car and you then start to see that car mm. everywhere, it's yeah. because your yeah. brain now says, okay, that's maybe important information. We're going to let you know when we see that car. By writing things down in a humor, note, humor notebook, your brain is like, okay, I'm going to maybe start to asterisk and star certain things that happen to you that I'm going to make you a little bit more aware of them. And so then you start to generate more humor. The more, the more I'm doing stand-up or speaking, the more I see humor in the world around me because it's just changing how I'm seeing the world. Mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, for sure. I know um, I've done a bit of stand-up comedy and I often will think of something and I'll think, oh yeah, I'll definitely remember that. You never do. You, you never, never do. ever do. You remember You remember where you were standing when you had that thought? You yes. remember like, how the wind was blowing and what you were wearing, but you, the thought itself, you cannot remember. So it's just a default. Like I use Evernote on my phone. You can use a handwritten thing that you have. You can write it down on a piece of notebook that you're going to look at later. Yeah. Mm. but it's it's absolutely write it down and also as part of that repository uh what i have is electronically is a digital version as well when i see a meme or an image or a video that i think is really funny i will save that into a repository one because it can give me inspiration later to be like okay this is you know yeah. i just need something fun i want to relieve some stress and two you never know when that type of message might actually be a great you know, image that you might be able to use in your presentation. Now, obviously you don't want to violate any copyright rule. You want to make sure that you give mm. proper credit, but that's one of the easiest ways. If you are someone who is not quite comfortable, you know, creating your hum own humor to start mm. is to leverage the humor that exists el elsewhere that other people have that is out there that you can use and yeah. still give credit to it, but say, Hey, you know, if you're talking with a client one-on-one, -on -one, and uh, there's a funny, you know, SNL sketch or Key and Peel or something from Mighty Python, white, right, you know, way back in the day that kind of makes the point that you're trying to make. Send yeah. them a link to that video and be like, hey, I thought of this of you like earlier when I saw this, you know, great sketch about blank. And now you're making them laugh. You're providing them with humor and you didn't have to be the one to create it. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, hmm. So that kind Smart. of leads me into my next question sort of about um, if you've got, say, a presentation do you start with all these kind of jokes that you want to use or do you start with the presentation and at the end you add your jokes in? Yes. Um, <laughs> both, Good right? answer. Uh, yeah. And, and, and it can, it can work both ways. I think that um, traditionally when I was first starting out, it was more of, I have these funny things. How can I work them into the uh, presentation? And more and more, it's been, okay, I have a specific point that I want to make. How can I make humor for it? And that's a big reason why I still do stand-up. So another thing, if you really want to elevate your, your speaking game, I strongly encourage you to try stand-up comedy uh, because I think it's one of the hardest forms of public speaking that you'll ever do. And if you're intentional about when you do stand-up, if you're in intentional about using it to work on material that you could say on stage, then it's just helping you write material for stuff that you can use later. And so a lot of times I've written material that I'm, I'm not 100% sure where it's going to go. And then later I'm like, oh, this is actually a perfect fit for this. Like uh, if people check out my, my TEDx talk or if they've seen that, I talk about math pickup lines. And the yep. math pickup lines I wrote as stand-up originally just because it was a funny thing and it was based on this thing that happened to me. And then later I realized, oh, that's kind of about confidence. And when I'm talking about <laughs> humor, you need to be able to have confidence. So 
let me talk about certain types of confidence. Now here's this segue where I can use these punchlines that I know work because I tested them in stand-up and it's also making a point for me. So some, yeah. sometimes it's a mix of both. Um, and then other times it is like, okay, you know, for example, recently I've been working more and more on, I've been developing more and more this idea around efficiency versus effectiveness. And so I'm like writing down, okay, what are some examples of efficiency versus effectiveness? What are some humor examples of what are things that are, you know, efficient, but not effective or vice versa. And so that's been intentional about, okay, I have this content piece that I want. How do I create humor for it? Hmm. Yeah. Just really quickly, which of those was your favorite math pickup line? Um, my favorite, uh, so the, the, I love, I, I love the structure of them. I love the, the, you know, the, the rule of three that's kind of used with them. Um, but I think my favorite of the three is the last one of, um, so the context for the audience, if they haven't seen it is me kind of trying to use a math pickup line, um, in a bar, them not working, the person saying that I should probably go away and me realizing later what I should have said was, Hey girl, you're way above average, so don't be mean. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's that's and, next level nerdy. Oh wow. Yeah, exactly. And that's why I think that's my favorite because it's so it is so nerdy, but so kind of and it that's I clever. lull people in. Yeah. I lull people in with some like stuff and then like I did not know I was gonna have to be like remembering math today to laugh at these jokes. Is that why you have a girlfriend now? Uh, because of the math pickup lines? Uh, no, I don't know necessarily that, but she did, she did watch my TEDx talk early on and was very impressed because she was slightly worried kind of learning about me being like, maybe he's too much of a nerd. And then yeah. she watched my TEDx talk and was like, oh no, he's, he's almost a cool nerd. He is you know, confident stage. He can make people laugh. Uh, he seems to have a good relationship with his grandmother. And so the, the TEDx talk definitely actually did help yeah. in that. Well, that's, oh, that's cool. That's cool. There you go. You need a TEDx talk, Thomas. No. <laughs> <laughs> this is the second episode that we've tried to find help Thomas find All a right, girlfriend. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, you should. Uh, I don't know if they have this show in New York. There's a, um, a club here in New York City called Caveat, which is a fantastic comedy club. Their theme is intelligent nightlife. And one of their shows coming up is called uh, Date My Friend, where people give a, like yep. a five-minute slideshow presentation of their friend and why people in the audience should date that person. I have been following them so hard for some time now. And I keep telling Kate, we need to do that in Australia. And she won't <laughs> yes. let me because apparently I've too much on already. <laughs> uh, all right. So Andrew, something we ask all of our guests, is there a book or a resource or something that has influenced the way that you speak? Well, around the business side of speaking. And so that's, that's a, a world that, you know, that's, and that is probably harder than speaking itself, I think, yeah. like developing a, an actual business that works around it. And so books that have helped me there, uh, two, both on the sales side, because I'm not a salesperson at all. Uh, one is Exactly How to Sell by Phil M. Jones, a fantastic yeah. person. Uh, if you guys fans of, of Phil, he's, he's so great. I'm a little um, bit of a Phil Jones fanboy. Yeah. Are you? Yeah. Uh, he I have is, his book and I'm just, yeah. Good, good to know. Um, <laughs> I will, um, um, we'll see. He's a very busy person, but um, I did, I hosted, I was his MC for his Audible original. If what? you've listened to his Audible original. I haven't uh, got to his Audible, they, no, not yet. It's, very, it's a very good presentation. I am cut out of it. Um, oh, no. intentionally, we knew that I wasn't going to be in it from the start, but the live event itself, I was the one there. I, I promise I was, um, <laughs> like, 
Sure you are. Sure. Um, so, but Phil Jones is fantastic. All that he does. He's a great person to like, I'm a big believer in finding mentors or people to follow and see what they're doing yeah. on social media and how they mm. do their website and other stuff. He's a, he's a great innovator in that space. And then um, same side selling a book by Ian Altman uh, was another very good sales book that changed my Phil's book was more about tactics that really helped me. Mm-hmm. Ian's book was about changing my perspective. Cause I always thought that sales was this kind of sleazy thing. And I'm trying to like trick yep. people into buying something. Yep. And Ian's kind of approach is like, no, you're, you're simply on the same side. You're understanding what their problem is. And then saying, this is out my potential solution to it. Do we think it's a fit that we should partner to solve this problem together? If so, great, let's do it. If not, also great. I'm happy to like yeah. try to recommend you to other people or whatever. So it became less of this like, I got to try to win this client more of like, no, let me help people. Uh, yeah. And so that mm-hmm. I think was incredibly uh, valuable. From the, the craft of um, speaking, the comic insights, um, this is maybe pre-speaking, but a book on when I was you know exploring stand-up comedy and trying to learn more, uh, there's a book called Comic Insights, which is basically interviews with a bunch of comedians. It's it's a little old now, so it won't necessarily be updated with newer comedians, yeah. but was a great book just to, to hear people's insights, to hear people consistently say, hey, it takes you time to find who your persona and your voice is. It, mm. um, you know, it's going to take stage time to get X, Y, or Z. These are some techniques or tactics to try. It was a very helpful book for me starting out. Right. Oh, and I, in, in terms of resources for speaking, uh, Michael Port's interview with Andrew Davis is perhaps one of the things that I've listened to on the business side of speaking. Andrew Davis is a fantastic speaker. He's knows, he knows so much about, like he can tell you his busiest week of the year and how that affects fee schedules and things like that and all that and the tracking. It's, those two episodes are very, very high. I very highly recommend listening to from Michael Port's Steal a Show podcast. Yeah, right. Okay. Most importantly, where can people find you? Sure. Uh, well, if they are curious about learning more about humor in general, they can go to humorthatworks.com, uh, which is just a, you know, a resource that we've set up to try to provide people with you know, free blog posts or the $15 book or access to an online course or kind of our workshops and stuff are listed there. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's kind of meant to be the, the how of humor. If they're more interested in what I'm doing or have specific questions for me, I'm uh, at Drew Tarvin, D-R-E-W-T-A-R-V as in Victor I-N on all social media. Uh, so if they like puns and wordplay, then you know, follow me on Twitter or Facebook because that's mostly what I, I share. <laughs> yeah. um, but if they have additional questions or things like that, I'm more, always more than happy to chat with folks. Awesome. And we'll put links to all of that in the show notes for this episode. Great. Yeah, brilliant. All right. So thank you so much, Andrew, for joining us today. We've really loved our chat, gotten some really great um, insights and wisdom from you. So thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for uh, having me. Thanks for listening to today's show. We'd love for you to leave us a review on iTunes. If you'd like to know more, check out presentationboss.com.au slash podcast, where you'll find show notes for today with links to everything we've discussed. If you have a recommendation for someone you'd love to hear from in this show, or think you have something of value you'd like to share, send us an email at podcast at presentationboss.com.au. We're always happy to hear your thoughts and take suggestions for future episodes. Most importantly, we rely on you to share the information in this podcast. If you found value in today's episode, please recommend us to a friend. Have a great week. And it's good to see you in the standard studio. I've definitely seen that corner of a room before.
Yeah, exactly. It's in the, uh, this is the, uh, the famous, uh, East village apartment, uh, kitchen this is actually my oh. kitchen ah. with a nice exposed brick wall and, uh, my book <laughs> stuff up there. And yeah. Cool. East village. So you're properly in, in New York. Yeah, properly in New York. So I've, I've been in New York for the last, uh, 12 years and I've spent most of my time on the East side, upper East side, midtown East, uh, short stint in Brooklyn. And then now in the, the East village. Oh, that is so cool. 